15 and verse 9. And we're going to uh, continue our Bible study and try to finish tonight. Search for truth. Tenth lesson. We're going to go from the battle of Armageddon to the great white throne judgment tonight. But just to go back just a little bit. Revelation 16 and verse 9. Let's see uh, how the people responded to the judgment of God, the wrath of God. <clears throat> Without reading this, how many of y'all would think that people would just go running to God after having gone through all this judgment and wrath and everything in the tribulation period? I used to think, Lord, when all your judgment comes in the tribulation period, for sure everybody's going to get right then. But they don't. I mean, all this wrath of God being poured out, which shows us the hardness of men's hearts. In fact, you don't even have to have a devil. All he had to do was sow, sow the seed of sin in, in man, and then God could have wiped him completely out. And man would have still rejected Christ. Because that's just the heart of man. And we're going to see that. So Revelation 16 and verse 9. The Bible says this, And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God. They spoke evil of His name, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him the glory. So not only did they not repent, but they hated him so bad, they blasphemed his name. They spoke evil of his name. After all this judgment takes place. Let's keep reading verse 10. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. They gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you right now, Jesus. We ask God your blessing to be upon this service, that you would speak to all of our hearts, God. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, the Battle of Armageddon. Look at verse 19 of chapter 16, please. And the great city was divided in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine and the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hell out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. When you get to the end of... Chapter 16, you are at the end of the tribulation period. The wrath of God has very quickly has been poured out, one successive bowl after another, very, very rapid, very fast. And then the Lord comes back, of course, He stands on the Mount of Olives, but 
Babylon is destroyed at that time. Now, when you talk about Babylon, you're talking about a system that leaves God out. Political, economical, and religious Babylon is what's going to be judged by God. And so, God talks about these three, these frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the false prophet, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist. These spirits, unclean spirits, that go forth and they gather the armies together in a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon, where God is going to judge them. Now, what this is all about is, this is a world, one world government, and one world church, and one world economy that the people of the world have brought together to try to set up a utopia, a super state, a one world system that leaves God out. So they don't need God. And really 666, the mark of the beast that God's going to judge, has to do with a person trying to be his own creator, 6, his own savior, with me here, his own creator, his own savior, and really his own God. That is 666. That's the heart of man. His own crea creator, his own savior, his, he is going to be God. That's 666. So God comes back and he judges it. Now when you look at history, you have men who are type of the Antichrist, like Nimrod, going all the way back to Babylon. That's why the Bible talks about God's going to judge Babylon. It takes you all the way back to Genesis, where a man by the name of Nimrod came together and built a super state, if you will. He tried to establish a one world government and a one world religious system and a one world economy way back in Genesis. So it flows all the way through the scripture into the end times. You have men like Nimrod. Then you have men like Pharaoh who had the same spirit that Nimrod did. He wanted to be the God of the earth. Okay, after Pharaoh you had uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Then you had the Medo-Persian rulers who were all involved in trying to bring about one world domination. You had not only the Medo-Persian, but you had the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great, wanted to conquer the then known world and make a super state or a one world government out of it. Following uh, Alexander the Great, you had the Caesars, the Caesars in Rome. They were wanting this one world government type set up. You have a man by the name of Constantine, who was a, he wanted to rule the world, okay? And so on and on through history, we have man at different times trying to bring about this one world government system. In our day, it's called the New World Order. It's a term that's constantly, you always hear it on the news, even the president, even Bush, way back, uh, I'm not talking about the present Bush, this present Bush, but the one, his dad, really brought it in when that, we first went to war with Iraq over there, okay? This New World Order, it was a term that you hear all the time. So we're living in the days now where men again are trying to bring about a one world government. To me, the Iraqi crisis, so to speak, or the war in Iraq, is really nothing more than men trying to bring in a one world police, a police system, a one world government, a one world currency. Anything that you see happening worldwide these days the underlying motivation of that is not just to go over there and to liberate Iraq from, from a crazy leader. 
it ultimately has to do with bringing the world into a one world government system with a one world police system with a one world currency with a one world religion so just keep that in mind when things start happening in the world you say well why is this happening what's this all about one world government is the underlying roots of all of it okay so we living in a day right now where it's new world order so really nothing's changed all the way back to the time of nimrod to the present time men has tried to set up a utopia a super state where he's ruling where god is left out he's left out of the economics he's left out of religion he's left out of the government it's men saying we don't need you god we are god we're our own saviors amen we're our own creators six 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 the number of man so god's going to judge that and so we come to the end of the tribulation period where we saw the wrath of god was being quickly poured out and the scripture says that these unclean spirits three unclean spirits like frogs go out of the mouth of the antichrist the, the dragon the antichrist the false prophet i don't know if you can see this up here okay what we have here is we've got a false prophet, we've got a beast, the Antichrist, and we've got the dragon. These spirits, or these frog-like spirits are coming out right here. See these bowls of wrath being poured out. These unclean spirits are coming out, and they are sent forth. They go out, and they gather the armies together in, in the Middle Eastern part of the world to fight. They, they go there to fight each other at the first, but then the Lord comes back right here with, with the church, with the saints, and then they turn their battle against him and try to destroy him, wipe him out. Of course, God's going to, Jesus is going to take care of them in the battle of Armageddon. Okay. And so in this passage in Revelation 16, we have the announcement that Babylon is destroyed. Now, there's a literal Babylon, but I believe that this reaches way out. That it's talking about the world government, it's talking about world religion, uh, etc. Now, we know in Revelation 17, let's go look over there. It flows into this ba religious Babylon that will be destroyed. Now, how is she destroyed? Not by Jesus directly, but by the one world government system that she's riding upon. Okay? So, at the beginning of the tribulation period, then you've got a false church, which is represented by this woman. And you've got this beast, this seven-headed beast, which represents the world government. And so at the beginning of the tribulation period, they're riding together. Now, what happens is, this one world church system is going to be destroyed by the world government system. Okay, because God has put it in their hearts to fulfill His will. So let's look at Revelation 17. Verse 15. He saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So that one world religious system is going to be destroyed by the world government. What the scripture tells us there. For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the king's of the earth and I believe that to be religious Babylon all right now when you talk about this unification here of the one world government and the church system the church could be destroyed but at the end of the tribulation period the Lord is going to come back and destroy 
the armies, the one world government system. Look up here if you will. The woman on the back of the beast represents the false church. Some believe she represents literal Babylon. But uh, I believe she represents the false church. She is the bride of Satan. The dragon. What the enemy does is he seeks to counterfeit. He seeks to establish a one world government system. Where he operates and he rules. And men do it without God. Okay. Watch. But of course Jesus has a kingdom. And he's got a bride. Jesus has a church. So the woman is the bride of Satan. The church. The false church that's in the world today. That calls itself a church. Is the bride of Satan. Okay. The dragon. Imitates and seeks to replace. God. The eternal God. The spirit of God. The father. Alright. The antichrist. Seeks to replace Jesus Christ. His son. And the false prophet. The other beast. Seeks to replace the Holy Ghost. So what you've got is. You've got a so called satanic trinity. Okay. Now there's only one God. The father. And he came in the form of a man. Jesus Christ. And he poured out the Holy Ghost on us. The, the same spirit. Okay. Not different. But. What the devil tries to do is he tries to imitate, he tries to mimic that. And so what he does, he's got a harlot bride. He takes the place of God. The Antichrist takes the place of the Son. And the false prophet takes the place of the spirit of the anti-spirit. Okay? And so they come together and try to establish this one world government system, leaving God out. But of course, right here we see the Lord comes back, stands on the Mount of Olives, and defeats them. Okay, so if you look up here then, what we have is called here the Battle of Armageddon. It's announced in Revelation 16, Revelation 19 is when it actually occurs. It's really not the Battle of Armageddon, it's more like the War of Armageddon. Because it's a succession of battles that is going to take place in the Tribulation period, okay? And eventually they're all going to come together and it's really a War of Armageddon. Because it's just not one day that this is happening. This is over a period of time. So it should be called the War of Armageddon. So all the armies have gathered there in the Valley of Megiddo. And they're going to fight each other and they're fighting over the land of Israel. Okay? All of a sudden, they look up and they see Jesus Christ coming back with all these hosts behind him. He comes back, he stands on the Mount of Olives, they begin to try to fight against him, and he wipes them out. It's called the second coming of the Lord, and it's at the, the end of the tribulation period, okay? So the war of Armageddon is over a period of time, but it ends at the end of the tribulation period. When the Lord comes back, he stands on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives divides in two, and all these riders, these horses, and all these people involved in this army... The turn to fight against him. The Bible says in Zechariah 14. Let's go there and look at this. Tells us what's going to happen to them. Zechariah 14.
We'll start with verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. Now, that's interesting to me. Because at this particular time, in Zechariah 14, it says, The day of the Lord cometh. It doesn't say it already has come. It says it cometh. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the house is rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So the way this reads, if my understanding is correctly, as I told you before, for so long, because of the, of the judgment of God that's fallen upon the earth in that seven-year tribulation period time, I always liken that seven-year period of time to be the day of the Lord, a time of judgment that's going to come. But in Zechariah 14, it tells us here that it's connected with His second coming to the earth and His fighting against the nations that are gathered against Jerusalem to battle. Everybody look up here at me, would you please, just for a minute. So the day of the Lord then could be, this is really, really, it can change your whole thinking on events in prophecy. Because we know the church is not appointed to go through the day of the Lord or the day of His wrath. Okay, worldwide wrath. But when does that take place? If that takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, then what do we say from this part right here? Are you here? And a worldwide wrath is going to fall upon that. I'm not, you, you know, you can fight with me all you want to about it, but it's not going to change anything. If Jesus doesn't rapture us out, He doesn't rapture us out. What are you going to do? Try to get a rope and throw it up there? Say, I'm pre-trib. I'm looking for Him to come every day. But I'm just saying that when you look at the day of the Lord, it's connected with His second coming and his destruction on these armies that are at the end of the tribulation period. Okay? He says, I will gather. Now, he, we already read that in Revelation 16 that these three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, the antichrist, the false prophet. And they go out and they gather the armies. But now the Bible says the Lord is gathering them. So which one is it? It's both. He's using these spirits. To gather these armies into the Middle East to fight this battle. Okay? The Bible says when he gets them all there, he's got them there for a reason. That's to wipe them out. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. This is God's war. And he's going to fight against those nations. Alright? As when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Right here. So right where he, he ascended up, those angels in Acts chapter 1 said, This same Jesus that you've seen gone up into heaven uh, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. So he left physically. He's coming back physically. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and it's going to split. Let's read a little bit. Okay. Verse 4, his feet shall stand in that day up upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley 
And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azel. Yea, ye shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. Which tells me for sure that I'm already there with him when he comes back to fight this battle. Now, when we went, that's the question. Okay? So it's clear that we are not going to be in that day of the Lord situation uh, at the end of the tribulation period because we're going to come back with him. We are with him. So we left at some point. And maybe we left seven years before. Maybe we left in the seventh year in connection with the seventh day resurrection of Jesus Christ. At least I consider it now. I used to never consider it. Hallelujah. But I, I want to be ready regardless. But I know we're with him because the Bible says he's going to come back. Zechariah 14 right there. It tells us clearly. Um, the Bible says, and all the saints with thee. How many of y'all want to be with him when he comes back? So it's not angels that are coming back with him only. Although angels will be coming back with him. Because in Thessalonians, it talks about the angels of God coming with him. So angels and the saints are going to return with the Lord at the end of the tribulation period in the Sand on the Mount of Olives. Okay. This shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. So we're talking about the Mediterranean. We're talking about the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. The Dead Sea is going to be healed at this time. Because water is going to flow to the Dead Sea. And they're going to be healed. Okay. Verse 9. Now watch what happens. After he comes back and he fights these nations here, then he's going to set up his kingdom. A thousand year kingdom age, okay? What happens, verse 9? And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. So this is a literal return of the Lord, a literal battle, and a literal setting up of an earthly kingdom. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be one Lord? Say one Lord. And if you if you got a good Bible, that word Lord is all capitalized. So we're talking about the one God of the Old Testament. Now, who is it that's coming back? Jesus is coming back. Revelation 19 says it's Jesus that's coming back. But here it says right here, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And it talks about uh, verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Right? You with me here? Verse 5, You shall flee to the valley. It goes on down. Uh, and the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. The Lord my God shall come. So again, Revelation 19 tells us Jesus is coming. So he is the Lord God. All right. The scripture says in that day shall there be one Lord. Say one Lord. Oh, he didn't change it. He must have not talked to the church world today. 
he must have not came and asked them if, if he could be one instead of three. You know? Because the way they would teach you, you got three of them coming back. If the Lord God's coming back and Jesus is coming back, that means if you separate them, two of them is coming back. No, we know that Jesus is the Lord God and He's the only one that's coming back, okay? So the Bible says, and His name, one. His name, one. Hallelujah. Not three, His name, one. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Gibeah to Ramon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her from Benjamin, Benjamin's gate, and the place of the first gate, and the corner gate, from the tower of Hananiel, unto the king's winepress. Now, I love all this. This is very powerful stuff, okay? But you talk about towers in the Word of God. You go back and you study Babylon of ancient history, which God is going to judge in the last days. And what is their focal point? Power. In fact, in fact, Astarte or Ashtaroth, the name of Semiramis, okay, you with me here? Way back in Babylonian days, this woman was the one who is credited with crucifixion. She's the one that crucified or came up with crucifixion as a punishment. The cross is the shape of a T, Tammuz. You understand what I'm saying here? When you go back to this, this tower is a focal point of false religion and one world government system. And so when God comes back, you will see throughout the prophets where he judges towers. Amen? Remember Sunday night we talked about Abimelech? How the tower was burned, etc.? How this woman throws a, a stone out of the tower on the top of his head. We talked about Baal, Bareth, Baal, Bareth, which means the Lord of the Covenant. Do you know that's another name for, Baal, for, for Nimrod? It's another name for Nimrod. So God's going to come back and he's going to hit these towers. He's going to bring these pride down. You study the prophets, you'll see that. These towers represent the pride of men. Okay. Uh, verse 11, and men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited, and this shall be the plague. Here we go, this is what I wanted to show you. This shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. And this is not, I mean, you know, some people say, well, this must be an atomic explosion of some kind. Because this is what happened in the days of Nagasaki and Hiroshima when, when the atomic bomb was dropped over there on Japan. And some of the same descriptions that are used here is what happened there. Where literally, the heat was so intense that it melted in the walls, the shadows of the people. And their eyes and their tongues were consumed in their mouth. And before they ever hit the ground, accounts said that their eyes and tongues just melted out of their mouth. And so a lot of people say, well, this is definitely, must be an atomic explosion of some kind that's going to cause this to take place. Can I tell you something? His glory. Now, I'm not, I'm not negating that. I'm not saying that won't happen. 
But I am saying this, that His glory is so much greater than, than any atomic bomb or hydrogen bomb or, or whatever man can set off. It's much greater than that so that Thessalonians says they shall be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. So that the, the, the beast, the seed of the beast has turned to darkness and it's dark there. And then all of a sudden this awesome, glorious Savior comes back who's brighter than the noonday sun. And as soon as they see Him, man, they're not even going to hit the ground and die. They're going to die before they ever hit the ground. Their eyes are going to melt out of their heads while they're standing there. I mean, they're just going to consume and their tongues in their mouth before they ever hit the ground, friend. God's an awesome God. I'm glad I know Him. In fact, the prophets talk about when He comes back. Isaiah talks about it. That when He stands on the Mount of Olives, that literally the mountains will melt at His presence. So if mountains melt in the presence of this kind of glory, you can be assured of that men are going to melt in the presence of that kind of glory. I mean, it's nothing like man has ever seen. Nothing like it. I'm talking about Jesus, that is. You think about that, man. He stands on the Mount of Olives and or the mountains he's upon just start melting. Powerful. So the Scripture tells us what's going to happen to those people who've gathered against him. Now, Revelation 16 talks about this battle of Armageddon. That they're gathered in this place in Megiddo. And the Bible says that the blood is to the horse's bridle. And it flows for approximately the word 1,600 furlongs, which is two, approximately 200 miles. Now, does that mean that the blood's going to be, you know, if the horse's bridle is about this tall, does that mean you're going to have a river flowing that deep for 200 miles? I don't know, but I can tell you this, very minimum, a very minimum thing is that there's going to be so much blood there that it's definitely going to splash to the horse's bridle, horse's bridle. And that's how many people are going to perish in the battle of Armageddon when Jesus Christ comes back. Blood's going to flow for 200 miles. That's almost to El Paso. It's about 275 miles to El Paso. And that's how far the blood's going to... It, flow and splatter up to the horse's bridle. That's a lot of people dying, my friend. And why is God doing this? Because He came the first time and He died for us, shed His blood and offered man redemption and man has rejected Him and blasphemed Him and mocked Him. And so now, because they rejected salvation, the only thing that remains is that they die for their sin and that's eternal. And so that's why this is going to happen in the future. And everything that's going on right now is setting the stage for the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period, which will culminate the consummation of His... when He comes back and stands on the Mount of Olives and wipes all these people out. I'm glad I know Him. He's an awesome God. Let me read a little bit more to you here. <clears throat> Verse 13. Shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. They shall lay hold every one on the hand of his neighbor and his hand 
shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. So we've been talking about the judges. And we've been seeing that when God fights, that the enemy fights against himself. So all these things you see in history are pointing to these ultimate times. Okay? Where literally, not only is God's glory going to wipe them out, but they're going to start fighting against each other. Confusion. Mass confusion. Amen. Verse 14, Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and peril in great abundance. Fixing to go into the kingdom age. Thousand year kingdom age from here. And so shall be the plague of the horse, of the mule, of the camels, of the ass, of all the beasts that shall be in these tents as this plague. So in, in Revelation 19, God calls this the great supper of God Almighty. And at that time, with all this carnage and all this flesh, then all the fowls of the air, Matthew 24 talks about, the fowls of the air gathered there, and they're going to eat on the flesh of captains and mighty men, etc. It is literally the, the uh, feast of Leviathan. It is the feast of Leviathan. It is the feast of Behemoth. Those are two animals the Bible talks about in the prophets uh, that's concerning the Antichrist and the false prophet. And linked with Jewish studies and history, they understand there's going to be a great feast someday. It's a feast on those, the Antichrist and the false prophet, Behemoth and Leviathan. And guess what happens? The Bible says that the saints get to participate in it. Which means this, that when God's destroying the Antichrist and the false prophet, it's the, it's the supper of the great God, of all, great, great God Almighty. The thousands here are coming there. The scripture says, the Bible tells us that we're going to see it and rejoice. And even Jewish history talks about it. That the saints of God are going to be there crowned, wearing their crowns. And they're going to see this feast of Leviathan taking place that the prophets talk about. And we're going to rejoice when it takes place. And so that's why it's called the supper of the great God, great God Almighty. Amen. Okay. Now he comes back, standing on the Mount of Olives, he fights this battle, and all this abundance begins to flow. It's getting ready to go into the kingdom. Now watch, okay. Verse 16. It shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all nations, which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles is linked to what? The kingdom age. It's linked to the kingdom of God. You need this. Because when we talk about tabernacles and the kingdom of God, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about. But here it tells us that after this battle, those that are left, okay, let's talk about it. Jesus comes back, fights the battle of Armageddon, wipes them all out. Great supper of God Almighty it takes place, right? The Lord at that time is going to judge here we have this judgment called the judgment of living nations. Do y'all see that? Where the nations of the world who are left are gathered there to stand before him. This is called the throne of his glory. It's not the great white throne. Matthew 25 calls it the throne of his glory. Where all the, the nations, the Gentiles, come before him and they are judged. And he separates the sheep from the goats. But before he judges the nations, according to Ezekiel, he judges Israel. Those that made it through the tribulation, those that didn't take the mark, made it through the tribulation period, 
didn't die in the battle of Armageddon okay maybe even some that took the mark because there has to be somebody there to be judged and what he does is literally he judges Israel and they pass under his rod and he determines who of Israel goes into the kingdom and only those that are born again of Jews can go into the kingdom you with me after he judges Israel because he doesn't judge Israel with the nations because the Jewish people are not reckoned with the nations he doesn't judge them at the same time okay he judges them after the battle of Armageddon then he judges the nations and he separates the sheep from the goats now the sheep he puts on his right hand the goats he puts on his left hand now the goats are at, the, at this judgment right here the goats are going to be destroyed they're going to die right there in the presence of the Lord they're going to die okay leaving only the sheep on his right hand to go into the kingdom so these judgments here on Israel after the battle of Armageddon and then on the nations are for what they are to determine who goes into the earthly thousand year kingdom age nobody nobody at the first of the thousand year kingdom age nobody will be an unbeliever only believers will go into the thousand year kingdom age now the new jerusalem i'm just going to give you what i believe whenever the bride comes back with the lord the saints come back with the lord to me that is that we are the jerusalem of god and to me that is when the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven. Are you with me? And it hovers over the earth. Alright, hang on to that. So what you have then, at this judgment and the Jewish judgment here, we determine, God determines, who's going to go into the thousand year kingdom age? All believers. And they're just like us. They are people with real bodies. These people that have been judged on the earth, who go into the earthly kingdom... Okay, you with me here? Have natural bodies, just like we do. But they are all saved. We come back with the Lord, and we've got glorified bodies. Okay, hello. And it reminds me a lot of what Nathaniel saw in John chapter 1. He saw a ladder, okay? And the angel of God descending and descending on this ladder... What is that all about? To me, if you look up here, in the thousand-year kingdom age, you will see a picture of this ladder. And you will see up there, you will see the Jerusalem of God. This, this chart doesn't do it there, but I, I'm going to put it there, okay? I'm, I believe that. And what you have is you have Israel is the head of all the nations on the earth, and they're physical just like us. And then up here, you've got this ladder, and, and we are in glorified bodies okay and we are with the Lord so what you have is some way somehow you have natural man who, who are born again and saved who are somehow in uh, communication with glorified people because we come back with him when he stands on the Mount of Olives now at some point does that mean we stay on the earth glorified bodies or does that what happens I don't know ultimately 
But John 1 seems to, to teach us that we will be in that ladder type situation there in the Jerusalem of God just above the earth. Okay, But I do know we came back. Alright. So what's interesting to me is this. Is that there's going to be some people that are going to be glorified and some people that are not glorified in that thousand year kingdom age time frame. Amen. Now, where, I, where, where this blows my mind is this. That if, you're a, if you've got a glorified body, then you've got a body like the Lord's. And if His body, when He comes back, melts mountains, if you've got a body fashioned like His body, then it's, it's kind of hard for me to see us walking around, you know, glorified in the presence of non-glorified people. That's why I say there's, there's got to be some distance between us and the earth realm. Which, which tells me that the Jerusalem of God comes down to the beginning of the kingdom age and not at the end of it. Okay. And you don't have to believe that if you don't want to. But, but that's just kind of what I believe. Okay. And I believe I've got scripture to teach it. So my point is then, and some of y'all are going, <laughs> how would you like to be me right now? <laughs> Lord, help me. <clears throat> you have got, okay, so what is this judgment after the battle of Armageddon then? It's the throne of his glory. It's the separation from the sheep and the goats. And the sheep go into the kingdom, along with the Jewish people go into the kingdom. They are the head of the nations, Israel is with living Gentiles, na nationality people, on the earth at the same time, okay? But they're all saved. Keep that in mind. There's not one unbeliever, not one, that goes into the kingdom age on this earth that is not a believer at the beginning, okay? What the Lord does then, of course, <clears throat> also associated with these judgments uh, with his second coming to the earth, you with me here? At the beginning of the kingdom age, thousand-year reign, the Antichrist and the false prophets are destroyed at the Battle of Armageddon. They die. Well, I say they die. Though what they do, what they have, what they do, they're thrown alive into the lake of fire. Okay, so they die spiritually. They die spiritually. Because the Bible talks about a second death. So they die, but they die spiritually. But they're cast alive into the lake of fire. Are y'all with me? Come on, it's not that difficult. Well, y'all going to be teaching this Bible study anyway. So, you know, I don't even have to teach it, do I? But they're cast alive, literally alive, man. Into the lake of fire. And they are the first, first and only inhabitants of the lake of fire. The first and only inhabitants of the lake of fire. Okay. Well, does that mean nobody's in hell right now? Oh, of course. If you die without Christ, you immediately go to a place called Hades. It's over here. Okay. Sometimes it's called hell, but really hell's a lake of fire. But there's nobody in the lake of fire right now. And I'll talk to that, talk about that when we get there. So the first inhabitants of the lake of fire are going to be the Antichrist and the false prophet. 
And as you read the book of Revelation, chapter 20 and 21, you're going to see that when the thousand years are ended, those two, the false prophet and Antichrist, are still in the lake of fire burning. There's no such thing as annihilation. You get thrown in hell, you're there forever, and you feel it forever. Okay? So the false prophet and Antichrist, after being there now a thousand years, are still burning in the lake of fire. Okay? Now what happens to the devil then? We've got the false spirit. We've got the false Christ in the lake of fire. We've got Satan. And the Bible says in Revelation 20, he's bound for a thousand years. Okay? So the, the, you've heard the term millennial kingdom. Millennial is a thousand, means a thousand years. Okay, so the kingdom age is on the earth. It's a thousand years in length. The Antichrist is not going to be there. The false prophet is not going to be there. And Satan's not going to be there. He's going to be bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. So there's not going to be any devil on the earth. And there's not going to be any unbelievers on the earth. Okay? It just, at the beginning, there's going to be redeemed man because you cannot enter the kingdom of god except you're born again of the water and the spirit and so this is the literal kingdom of god amen and you can't enter into it if you're not born again so he's bound a thousand years and you can read revelation chapter 20 verses one through five and the and the thousand years is mentioned over and over and over and over so you can't miss it it's a literal period of time it's also symbolic, but I'm teaching you physical, literal things tonight. Okay. Are y'all all right? Give God some praise then. <clears throat> so y'all follow the, the chronology then? And all you have to do is start at Revelation 16, where I read, start reading it, and you will see the sequence of events. Okay? It's, it's, what I just told you is pretty much there, along with Zechariah 14 and some other things that we've, we've given by the other prophets, but it's pretty much right there in the book of Revelation. Just read it, okay? Is everybody doing okay out there? <clears throat> now, what is this kingdom age going to be like? This millennial, this millennial means 1,000 years reign of Christ. What's it going to be like? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, number one, the Lord's going to be reigning. Okay? Again, is he going to be on the earth? Or will he raise up David as a prince underneath him to run the things on the earth? I don't know. Okay? But he's going to reign, ultimately. So we're going to talk, it's called the millennial reign of Christ. And you can read this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, and Isaiah 2, verse 4. Okay? This is awesome stuff, man. Ooh, this is going to be great. the nation, and having just the Antichrist, the false prophet, and having bound Satan in the bottomless pit, let's find out what it's going to be like for those that are upon the earth. Okay? The scripture says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and nothing shall hurt or destroy. So there's going to be peace. There's going to be a millennial peace, a peace on the earth. 
with me? Say peace. So there's not going to be any war. They're going to take their weapons, their swords, their weapons, and turn them into pruning hooks. They're going to turn them into farm implements. And so they're going to be farming instead of fighting. No more war. Don't have to worry about your husband going off to war or your sons going off to war. That's not going to be there. Amen? The ferocious aspect of animals, not going to be there. The lion's going to lay down with the lamb. A child can walk over there and put his hand in the cockatrice den or lay down on it. Amen? What a, I can't wait till that time because nothing's going to hurt or destroy. There's not going to be any insect bites. There's not going to be any snake bites. I, I can't wait for that day. I really can't. You know, well, well, Pastor, if you're glorified, how are you going to walk the earth? Well, maybe the Lord just let me slip out. I'd like for him just to let me slip out and come down here in the earth and, and swim with Shamu. Yeah, walk with the lions and you know what I'm talking about? Sit down and eat dinner with an ape. I, see, I, I want to do that. You know. I don't know if I'll get to Amen. But to me, that's awesome. They fascinate me. So anyway, it's going to be an awesome time of peace. And that's Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. You can read, read those scriptures there. Um, let, let's go to Isaiah 65. I'd like to read some of this to you. Isaiah 65. And uh, I want to read this to you because, as you know, the, the people that are left on this earth, this kingdom age, they're going to be giving birth to children. Now, here's the problem. At the beginning of the kingdom age, everybody's saved. But when they start having kids in the kingdom age on the earth, what you need to remember is that these people are saved who enter in the kingdom age with physical bodies just like we have, but they've still got a sin nature in them. So when they give birth to children, these children are going to have a sin nature in them. No devil around anywhere. In a perfect environment. With the Lord Himself ruling this earth. Everything's Perfect. No devil. No devil to say the devil made me do it. Man don't need a devil to say the devil made me do it. That sin nature that's inside of all of us is as bad as the devil himself. It'll rebel sitting in church. In fact, there, I feel a spirit in somebody right now sitting in the house of God where the Word of God's going forth. And the Lord's in the place. And rebellion in the heart. That's the sin nature of man. You don't need a devil. And most of the time, when we struggle with things, devil don't even know your address. But see, we like to, we like to blame the devil. The devil made me do it. 
Oh, he don't, he, he don't even have to help you. Poor devil gets blamed for more things than he's guilty of. He's going, what? I had nothing to do with that. It's just your old lousy, sinful nature that you got. No prayer. No prayer. Don't need prayer. Don't need the Word of God. Oh, Lord. I want you to know I got one. I got a sin nature in me. And it's not nice. Amen. But anyway, having said that, said y'all were having such a good time tonight. Let's go to Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Verse 20. There shall be no more fence an infant of days. Nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child should die a hundred years old. Say the child shall die a hundred years old. If a man dies, look at this. The longevity of the kingdom age of life is going to go back to what it was in the days of Adam. Adam lived to be 930 years old. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. But nobody made it for the full day. One, because there's different days in the Bible. There's a thousand year day. And so the Lord says this, In the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. So no man has ever lived a full millennium. Methuselah is the only one that's ever come close. 969 years old. He died right before the flood. Okay? But the Bible talks about there's going to come a time when, when somebody dies at the age of 100... They're going to be considered an infant. They're going to be considered a child at 100 years old. Ooh. And the scripture talks about how long some people are going to live. They're going to live like the, the years of a tree. There's going to be some people that live through the whole thousand years in a physical body just like we've got. Not glorified. Physical body. Thousand, they live the whole day with no devil around. You die at a hundred. You die like a like a like a newborn babe. So life is increasing. The Bible goes on and says this now. Um, but the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. Which means this, if you make it to 100, you live 100 years. Now watch, I thought you just told me, and some of you are talking to me, that there's not anybody that's going to enter into the kingdom age that's not saved. But here I'm reading in Isaiah 65 about people who will be a sinner at the age of 100 and will be accursed. So where'd they come from? They are the offspring, they are the children of the kingdom believers. And those children are going to grow up and no devil around to point the finger at and say the devil made me do it. Their sin nature 
will cause them to sin against God in a perfect environment with the Lord himself on the earth and no devil around anywhere. So they come out into the world and they, have, they still have to choose. They have to choose. The offspring has to choose. And so here's the thing. If you make it, if, if you were that person and you made it to 100 and you were still a sinner, you would be accursed. One of two things. You die then or you continue to live but you are accursed. Your probationary period of time, 100 years is the time that you have to get right with God in that time. And if you don't get right with God in that 100 year time frame, then you're accursed. You have no chance of being saved. So in that case, they could continue to live accursed or they, God could just, they could just die. Couldn't be, they just die. But the point is, that even in the kingdom age, in a perfect environment with the Lord himself upon the earth and no devil around, there's still going to be people who sin against God. The church that you attend tonight is not perfect. Are you understanding me? But it's going to be perfect then. You won't, in that, in that time, I know some of you are already bored, but Anyway, just bear with me. In that time, you don't have to worry about who, which church has truth. You don't have to worry about making sure that you're not in some church that's preaching false doctrine that's going to send you to hell. Like right now, you live in a time and an age where you've got to be concerned about the church you go to. You've got to be concerned about... Do they preach the truth? Do they not preach the truth? You've got to be careful because there's millions upon millions that are going to go to hell sitting in church. But in that day, no devil going to have to worry about what church to go to. It's exact God himself is going to be ruling the reign. And he's going to be teaching you. Mm. He's going to take some of the guesswork out of it, so to speak, guesswork. But we got a Bible. But my point is this, if people can still fall away from God in that perfect situation with no devil, that wakes me up. And it lets me know as a preacher that I ain't made it yet. There is a devil that wants to take me down. There is a world that wants to take me down. And in that time, it's going to be a perfect world. So I got the world and the devil trying to take me down. And I got my old sin nature trying to take me down. And there's going to be some people who don't have the world or the devil to fight. And are still going to go down by the sin nature that's in them. It's so evil. It's so wicked. That if it doesn't walk, if it doesn't walk dead. If you don't kill that flesh. And if I don't kill that flesh. The flesh is all I need to be lost. You, the Bible says, that's why Paul said, mortify the deeds of the body. You got to kill your flesh. You got to say no to your flesh. Because it can, it can jump back anytime. It can jump up anytime. Just take over. The world talks about, the Lord talks about in the, in the gospel, he talked about in the last days. 
he said he warned us against against surfeiting 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 has to do with overeating to the point of nauseousness it has to do when your flesh goes out of control when your flesh takes over again he warned the church he said don't let your flesh take over again because it'll take you to hell and so that's the situation here that a man he, but he's got a probation he's got a hundred years to get right if he don't get right he die he is a curse to God at 100 okay amen give the Lord a hand clap of praise <clears throat> whoosh Woo, glory to God God's good he's good he won't leave you out there hanging man he'll show up he'll show up he'll anoint you he'll he'll be right there for you They shall build houses, inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build in another inhabit. They shall not plant in another eat. For the days of a tree are the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So now, if we happen to live to be 80, 90 years old, it takes that much time to accumulate enough to be comfortable in this world. And then you die, you go on. And you leave it to somebody who could care less about you. <laughs> in fact, some of them just waiting for you to die. Because <laughs> they know you got a little money in the bank. <laughs> They're just waiting. I, I'm talking about children are waiting for mom and daddies to die. Man, oh, I can't wait till they die. Yeah, you got money. <laughs> so even your kids really don't care nothing about you. Ah, oh, they love you, yeah. But as much as a, a, a fallen nature being can love. But in those days, the Bible said, you're going to build, get to enjoy your house that you built. Plant, eat the fruit of your work. Amen. Hallelujah. Nobody else going to take it after you die and enjoy it. Say, well, let's just thank the Lord for mom and dad tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we better go on. I got a lot to cover here. The Bible says the earth's going to bring forth abundantly. I read that to you already. Isaiah 65, 22 through 23. You can read Isaiah 35, 1 through 2. I think that's the scripture that talks about the earth's going to blossom like a rose, man. The desert's going to blossom like a rose. Why are y'all so bored? Am I doing that terrible of a job? My, you know, I, I thought I was anointed. I, I really started feeling anointing, and y'all already go to sleep on me. I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do no better. The, the, the desert's going to blossom like a rose. And what's interesting right now in Israel, do you know that Israel is one of the major importers of roses, or exporters of roses, I should say? <laughs> in a desert, man. Fruit coming out of Israel. The land, the rain is increasing there. In your day, the, the, the latter rains are coming. There was a time 
There was a time when the latter rains weren't falling in Israel. They're falling in Israel today. The deserts blossom like a rose. I mean, fruit like you've never seen, man. Grapes as big as grapefruits. I've heard. I haven't seen. I've heard. <laughs> beautiful God's doing it just like he said it's going that direction well what's neat about it is the Holy Ghost believers the Bible says are going to judge the world first Corinthians 6 2 Revelation 3 21 5 9 through 10 going to judge the world behind the Lord there amen we're going to be with him the Bible says know you not that you shall even you shall judge angels I'm not talking about good angels. I'm talking about fallen angels. There's going to come a time when, when some of you are going to judge fallen angels. I wonder what that's going to be all about when Holy Ghost filled believers will judge the world. Thought about it before? Well, here comes, oh, oh what's his name? Stands before the Lord, you know. Hallelujah. You know, in the kingdom age, God's going to distribute it. He gave, you know, gave you certain responsibilities in this life, and you were faithful with them. God's going to make you ruler over maybe five cities, maybe ten cities. So there's got to be some. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how we're going to interact. But he's going to put certain people in, in charge of five cities or ten cities. You know? Well, anyway, ultimately we'll get to the white throne judgment in just a moment. But someday there's going to be, what's his name, going to walk up there before the throne of God and give all his excuses why he didn't live for God. And then the Lord's going to say, Brother, step forward. And here comes the brother, steps forward. You live for me. In worse circumstances than his. You judge him. His excuse doesn't hold here. It's nothing but an excuse. It's all it is. Because you live for me under greater stress and greater problems than he did. Every mouth will be shut. In the day of judgment. I used to work with somebody. And I've got to hurry. But I used to work with somebody. They said. When I get before God someday. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. He said you know why? He said because look at my eye. He had, a, he had a problem with his eye. His eye was sort of Lord, out of place. He said someday I'm going to stand before God. Give him a piece of my mind. The Bible says every mouth shall be shut. You're not going to give God a piece of anything. And you might as well just take, we might as well, I'm talking about me. We might as well take of all these stupid excuses we got. Say, well, I can't live for God, you know, and I think I'm. I... Holy Ghost filled believers would judge the world. Amen. 
Well, I couldn't live for God because my husband wouldn't live for God. Sister, come forth. Man said, I can't live for God because my wife won't live for God. Brother, come forth. Mmm. That's heavy stuff. Go ahead, go to sleep. It's okay. I don't mind. Oh, man. I really don't mind now because I'm anointed and I don't care what you do. I mean, when I first, first got going, I mean, I was out just hanging out there just waiting for God to come and catch me. But I'm anointed now and I don't care what you do. I, I, I got where I need to be. <laughs> So, you know, you go to sleep. I'm not going to beat you up, get mad at you another night. You know, you don't. Praise God, I'm, I'm where I need to be. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm happy now, man. I'm happy. You get out there and you feel like you're hanging by yourself. And all of a sudden, God comes up there and stands beside you. Uh, that's all I need. He's going to be King of kings and Lord of lords, the Bible says. Amen. The Bible talks in Ezekiel 43, if this is, and I'm talking from a literal point of view here, that from the temple is going to flow the waters. Waters. And we found in Revelation uh, 21, it's coming from the throne of the Lamb. It's going to flow out and it's going to heal the land. Praise God. But at the end of that thousand years of reigning of the Lord on the earth with the saints behind him, the Bible said in uh, Revelation 20, let me give you the verse so you can look it up, Revelation 27 through 9, that Satan shall be loosed from his prison at the end of a thousand years. He's going to be loosed. Okay? He's bound with a chain, but he's going to be set free. He comes out of the abyss at the end of the kingdom age, and he gathers an army of living people on the earth. Physical people. We started out a thousand years before, only, un only believers going in, and now a thousand years later, he has no problem gathering an army that's like the sand of the seashore in number. He has no problem finding a huge army to go up to the saints, to the city of the saints, to compass the city of the saints, okay? Which lets me know we're around somewhere. But when this army comes up, all right, you with me? The Lord, the Bible says immediately. He's not going to put up with it. That's it. Immediately. He, he calls... Fire down from heaven to consume the armies of God, Gog and Magog at the end of a thousand years. Consumes them. Isn't that sad? A perfect environment, a perfect world, a perfect God, no devil. And the devil still is going to be able to find people who will not live for the Lord. And who will literally fight against God himself. And God's going to call down fire from heaven. And destroys them. Let's talk about this. 
Lord, help me, Jesus. Let's talk about the goodness and severity of God. A lot of people today don't want to talk about judgment. They don't want to preach it. They don't, be, they don't want to hear it. Let me just throw this in because this has been in my spirit. It's been like a thorn in my side. And, and what it is is this preachers today. It's a thorn in my side who stand up and will not tell people the truth all in the name of love. And the Lord gave me a good example today of that. Of that. He showed me how that is not Him. And I'm going sh- to explain to you how it's not Him. There was a, a so-called preacher who was a pastor, if I remember correctly, of 3,000 lesbians and homosexuals in his church. He doesn't call them to repentance. He doesn't call them to change. He pastors them as they are. In fact, he doesn't believe they can change. But when you listen to him talk, he's so sweet and so kind and so personable that you want to want to be his buddy. And I'm telling you something, friend. That this juicy stuff in the name of love that doesn't tell people truth is even found in pulpits who don't preach against homosexuality and lesbianism. And if you think that's God, you know what saves people? Truth. The Lord said this. He said, the truth will make you free. He didn't say, my love makes you free. He said, truth makes you free. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me and he said, he said, I know you've been wrestling with that. And I have, man. I have wrestled with that. And he said, I know you've been wrestling with that. And he said, here's an example of, of, a, of another preacher that walks that same demonic philosophy who condones homosexuality and lesbian that will send them straight to hell but he's kind. The truth will make you free. And I thank God for the truth. And I, I you know, I, I'm not anti-love. But let's talk about the severity of God because God is a God of judgment. And he will, in fact, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this right now. If you listen to me, just a little, a little longer. Hallelujah. I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to drink peanuts to church with me. And bananas too. And when I need to be a monkey, I'll pull out a banana. But if you'll listen to me for just a little bit, I'd like to tell you this. Regardless of the location of sin... God judges it. Which means this. If he finds it in saint or sinner, he judges it. If he finds it in angels, he judges it. Regardless of the location of sin, God judges it. If it's in me tonight, he judges it. 
If it's in you tonight, He judges it. And you can wave your love card all you want to, but sin brings the judgment of God regardless of its location. Because I'm talking about a perfect angel named Lucifer who was most likely over a third of the angels. When sin was found in him locationally, when God located sin in that perfect angel, God said, you're judged. And he cast him out of heaven like lightning. Regardless of the location, God judges sin. The Bible says he spared not the angels that sinned. Second Peter 2, 4. Angels were around his throne. Look at that. Perfect environment. Heaven. God sitting on the throne. And angels still rebelled against him. God said, you're out of here. There's, going, there's something that will not be in heaven, and that's sin. It will not be in heaven. It's either going to be under the blood, or it's going to be in hell. But it will not be in heaven. God will judge sin regardless of its location. If it's in an, an anointed cherub, he will judge it. And he'll send him out. That's the way God looks at sin. Well, he wouldn't even spare angels. Cast them into hell. Oh, yeah. He destroyed the entire world except for Noah and his family. The entire world. See, God doesn't, he's not in a numbers game. He's not in that like some preachers I know. They're in a numbers game. So yeah, well, you know, I, yeah, hallelujah. Mm-hmm, yeah. He's not in that. We want, he wants multitudes to be saved. But he judged the whole world and left only eight people. Because the rest of the world refused to get right with him and get in the ark of safety. So God is not in a numbers game. If there's only eight of us in this church that make it. Then we would be the same, in the same number category as the days of Noah. And the Lord said this, that as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Which means this, that if there were few saved in the days of Noah, I'm telling you right now. That the majority of the world today are not going to be there. Whoa. What if a billion make it? That's not a whole lot. I said, that's not a whole lot. If you've got six billion living now, what time is it? Some of y'all acting like it's already 12. You've got, you got six billion living. If you only got a billion left... Hey, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I'm I, I not, I'm not, I'm not a pulpiteer. I, eh, I got a little fire in me. <laughs> How about you? Anyway, I told you I wasn't going to get mad at you. I'm happy. Hallelujah. I'm happy, happy, happy.
Praise God. Bless your little heart. I'm where I need to be. One of the sisters came up to me. He said, I was out of town. I felt backslid while I was out of town. I started to tell her, I feel backslid right now. <laughs> and that's not too funny. I felt pretty backslid before I started speaking tonight. I'm serious. I, I, don't, I can't pinpoint any gross immorality that I'm involved in. But I tell you what, I felt backslid before I started teaching. You can't always go by your feelings. You just have to walk by faith. God hates sin so much that he had a man stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. What's wrong with going to pick up a bunch of sticks, man? I just need to cook my food, God. Moses, you're a hard preacher. You're hard to get along with. Moses says, you go get that man and you stone him to death because he broke God's law. Oh, my. Can you imagine the way the church must have looked at, at Pastor Moses that day? He's a killer. Murdered one of the brothers. And not just, I mean, it wasn't lethal injection where the guy just went to sleep, man. I mean, M M Pastor Moses had him stoned, man. Rocks hitting him. Hard pastor. <laughs> mean pastor. God was behind that. Because in the book of Jude, he talks about this. He said, behold, the goodness and the severity of God. To you, goodness. To you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. You got to continue in his goodness. So, you know, I want, I want the goodness of God. How about y'all? Man, I, this stuff's heavy for me. Oh, I don't want to be on the other end of the... The judgment of God. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. And and I, I, you know, and I know you're beautiful and I know you're wonderful and everything else like that. But I'm going to tell you something. Sin caused God to judge angels. And sin caused God to judge the world. Left eight only left. And sin caused a man who just went and picked up sticks. To be stoned to death broke the law of God. I'm a good person, Pastor. I'm surrounded by good people, Pastor. Your goodness is not good enough. <laughs> My goodness is not good enough. <clears throat> the severity of God. He's a severe God. He's a God of judgment. He's a lion God. And I'm thankful He's a lamb. But it's something, Bob talks about the wrath of the lamb. turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Oh, that's a good message for Ash Wednesday. <laughs> he turned them into an ash heap. Ran down fire and brimstone. Right now, that old civilization is in the Dead Sea right now. All that homosexuality and open, blatant immorality God judged it so let me just tell you right now if you 
If you don't think that God is not going to judge America, if God doesn't judge sin in America, God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to judge it. He's going to judge America. And right now, though, where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. Right now, He is doing something very powerful. He is allowing the world one more chance to be impacted by the crucifixion. And so some of you saw a depiction of a man going through a crucifixion. And now you know why he went through that so that people could be saved from this. He went through that so you could be redeemed by his blood. And he's given the world another chance because he's that good. He's just that good. He's just that good. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. He's just that good. But he's going to judge the United States of America. If he doesn't, he'll have to apologize to all these. The Bible talks about, oh yeah. The Lord Jesus is going to come back with his mighty angels in flaming fire. How is he coming back? He's coming back in flaming fire. First Thessalonians, let me see. First Thessalonians 1, I believe it is. Y'all check me out, maybe Second Thessalonians. I think it's First Thessalonians 1, verse 7. Here's the point. He's going to come back how? In flaming fire. Taking vengeance on who? On them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those that know not God and also those that don't obey the gospel. He's going to come back in flame of fire. Amen? Did I ever, did I ever tell you about that time we was out on the loop? When we first got into church, you know, he's out on the loop handing out tracts, trying to win souls, you know. And y'all know what the loop is, right? I'm not talking about loop 385, 333, whatever. <laughs> loop 338. The loop I'm talking about is the drag. You know, when I was in high school, we had a drag, man. I mean, we rode that thing. That's all we did, just filled our... Didn't eat lunch all week, took our lunch money, put gas in our cars so we could run the streets and race up and down 42nd Street and listen to rock and roll music and get, you know. <laughs> but anyway, when I got right with God, God sent me back to the same stomping grounds and he said, now you go preach to the same people you used to run with. And I'd go preach to my drunk buddies. That one of them throwing up. I preached to him, and guess what? He's a Pentecostal preacher today. So anyway, we went out there, and you know, on the drag we called it, and and we'd go preach. We'd hand out tracks, and we handed out tracks, and I, I got a picture of this right here, and I gave. We were handing this out. <laughs> 
And one of these people who they, they had beer, you know, over there by the lap, you know, partying, drew in the drag. They said, what is, what in the, the, is this? What in the, is this? I said, it's Jesus Christ coming back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what he said? He said, oh, beep. <laughs> his attention man I guarantee you I think if I had a bottle between my legs and you know wasn't right with God and somebody handed me a track like that and said that I think I'd have done the same thing amen taking vengeance on them that obey not the gospel oh there it is <laughs> Taking vengeance on them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. Isn't God good? He's good. So, behold the goodness and severity of God. Don't forget his severity. Preachers, don't forget his severity. Don't forget his goodness. He's an awesome God. You know what I'm praying right now? I'm praying for all the theologians that I preach to. I pray for all of you to get a home Bible study. <laughs> I do. So, you you know, when I'm teaching this, you you come in here, all, you critique me, critique me. Well, let's see what, he, what score did he get today. On a scale of 1 to 10, what he scored today, you know. Hallelujah. Amen. God's good. I feel good. I told you I wasn't going. Told you I was going to beat you up. I, let's close with this. The great white throne judgment. At the end of the thousand year kingdom age. Revelation twenty talks about the great white throne judgment. We were going to be gathered before his, his throne. Let me give you the verses 20, 11 through 15. And the books will be opened. And another book will be opened, which is the book of life. What are the books that are going to be opened? Revelation talks about it. You got the books of the Word of God. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, the word that I've spoken, it shall judge you in the last day. So you have the 66 books of the Bible that's going to be opened up because God's not going to judge you with something you don't have. He's going to judge you with something you have. And that's his word. Everybody in here has got his book. You got his word. And he's going to judge us by his word. Word of God's going to be there. We know that. And we know that will be judged by uh, according to our works which means everything that we've ever done said thought is recorded 
watch. And then there's the Lamb's Book of Life. And those are the people who are recorded who had all that sin put under the blood. So there's no record of those people's sins. But watch. Books are open. Now, if you are not in the Lamb's Book of Life and you're not a child of God, then you'll be judged by your works and by the Word of God. The law of God will be taken and your works will be taken and compared and God will show you why you're going to hell. And I want to tell you tonight, you know why people are going to go to hell? Not because they had certain acts they committed. The reason why they're going to hell is because they rejected a saint. Because they rejected a Savior named Jesus. Watch. If you are born once, you're going to die twice. Because the Bible talks about in Revelation 20, the second death. People are cast in the lake of fire. That's the second death. So you'll die physically and then you'll die spiritually. That's the second death. Okay. To die one time physically means your spirit is separated from your body. To die a second death means you are separated from God forever. So if you're born once, you'll die twice, physically and spiritually. If you are born twice, physically and spiritually, you'll only die once. Doctors say, one specific doctor, and this is in your study, one specific doctor discovered that your brain is like a, a film strip, a film strip from the time of your birth to the time of your death. Everything you've ever thought, said, and done is recorded in your brain like one big long film strip so that all a doctor has to do at any given time is to touch that part of your brain with some kind of electric touch and you will relive that occurrence as if you were there you will experience the same emotion of that event because your brain is a recorder of everything Everything that's done in secret will be shouted on the mountaintops. Every thought you ever had, every thought you had tonight is recorded in your brain. Every thought you ever had tonight is recorded in heaven. Aren't you glad tonight that God hasn't flashed on the screen every thought you've had? <laughs> Woo! Woo! Thank God, God didn't say Mark House. Woo There's a, that's what he's thinking right now, church. Look what he's thinking right now. Oh, look what he did today. Look what he thought about today. Oh, look what he said today. Everything, everything, everything. And just a touch of electronic, electric, something stimulant in that part of the brain, you'll relive everything. 
so people stand before God and the books are open. Their, wor their, their work, works are open. And they already know. Because as it's flashed on the screen of eternity, they're going to say, yeah, that's me. I remember when I was six years old, I went and stole the cookie out of the cookie jar and told Mama I didn't do it. That's me right there. And that's all it takes for me to go to hell. It only takes one snake bite to kill you. It only takes one sin to send you to hell. How much sin does it take to send you to hell? One. One snake bite will kill you. One match will ignite a whole forest. One sin is all it takes to send you to hell. Or show those people that will be lost. Because I believe this is the judgment of the lost. When he shows them why they're going to be lost. Then, one last search. Is their name in the Lamb's Book alive? Did they sin that sin to the blood? Are they there? And so through the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, whoever's in charge of that book, possibly an angel, begins to search frantically through the book. Is their name there? Name's not there. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. But Lord, we cast out devils in your name. Don't know you. Done many wonderful works in your name. Don't know you. Prophesied in your name. Don't know you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. For I never knew you. Doesn't mean he didn't know they existed. He knows how many hairs you got on your head. When he says, I never knew you, he's saying, I didn't know you intimately as my dear children. So people who prophesy and people who cast out devils and people who do wonderful works in the name of the Lord are going to be in hell. Pray for me, would you, church? Will you pray for me? Because I don't want to be that man. That's the scariest verse in the Bible to me. To think you could stand up and be a preacher and still be lost. I used to think to myself when I first came into the kingdom of God, man, preachers are going to be safe for sure. Man, they're the men of the cloth. Well, they're going to be there until I read that verse. There's a lot of people you think going to be in heaven that are not going to be there. And there's a lot of people that you don't think are going to be there that are going to be there. And I just want to tell you this right now. If you think, though, that you're going to wake up and say, I made it? Wow, I'm surprised. No. You have to make reservations <laughs> to be there. You're not going to just show up there and say, wow, I'm here. No, no, no. You get that out of your mind. You made a reservation to be there. You lived your life to be there. You expected to be there. But what I'm saying is you might see people you didn't think would be there. there. But I'm telling you that if you don't make reservations to be there in that house, you will not be there. You won't just wake up and say, whoa, oh, wow, I'm here. Okay, y'all okay out there? 
Who's going to be in hell? Devil and his angels. Can I tell you this? The Bible says in Matthew 25. What time is it? It's getting there. Yeah. Can I tell you this? The Bible says that hell was not made for man. Matthew 25. That hell was made for the devil and his angels. Man didn't make it for me. I mean, God didn't make it for me and God didn't make it for you. It was not made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. But Isaiah 5, the scripture says, Hell hath enlarged herself. Hell had to go on a building program. Because it's got some new inhabitants. Hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure. Hell is on a building program today. The devil is going to and fro throughout the earth seeking whom he may devour. He's never been in hell. He's never been there. But he's looking to take you with him. Doing everything he can. take this world to hell with him he'll lie to you he'll tell you got plenty of time he'll tell you wait you don't have to do it right now he'll come talk to you like that and then God's word comes screaming back and says today is the day of salvation you don't have a promise of tomorrow my friend you can walk out of this house tonight and die and go straight into eternity without ever having another chance but the devil comes and says, you got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. Don't get radical. Whatever you do, don't get fanatical about Jesus. And don't get radical about Jesus. And just live, as, just live you know, with one foot in the world, one foot in the church. And don't, for sure don't get on fire. And for sure don't be, get holy because then they'll call you holy roller. And you don't want a reputation to be a holy roller, you know. If you are ashamed of him, he said he'll be ashamed of us in that day. You can't be ashamed. You can't hide your Christianity and expect for him to confess you before the Father. You got to come out bold. You got to take a stand in the open and confess him openly. Or he'll look at you and deny you. I don't know you. You wouldn't confess me. You tried to keep it a secret. I won't confess you. Man, are you hearing me tonight? But you see, the enemy says, uh, hide, be a coward. Don't be fanatical. Don't be radical. Holiness is too hard. Living for Jesus is too hard. He'll give you all those excuses. Who will be in hell? The devil and his angels. The devil and his servants. He has servants. Hell hath enlarged itself. Done a building program. Slothful servants are going to be in hell. That's Matthew 25, 26 through 30. The man that had a talent, one talent, God gave him one responsibility. One responsibility, church. One talent to serve him with. 
And he couldn't even do that right. So God, the Bible says, so he took and he buried the talent because he was afraid. God judged him and sent him into hellfire for that. Slothful servants. I think I need to read some scripture, though, in connection to this, okay? It's not that late. You can start in 25 and 27. It talks about that man. Talking about God's money to put to the exchange. And then at my coming I should have received my own. With you we take therefore the talent from him. And give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given. And he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away. Even that which he hath. Don't walk around. Don't walk around and, and, and get jealous about somebody. Who has abundance in the kingdom of God. Just because you wouldn't do anything with what you got. Are you with me right now? That goes for all of us, including the preacher behind the pulpit. There's a lot of people that's... He says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unprofitable servant. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all His holy angels with Him. See, told you the angels are coming too. Then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. Before Him shall be gathered all nations. And, and we talked about that, right? Yeah. Praise God. I think I need to go to chapter 24 and show you something real quick. Verse 45. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him a ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant says in his heart my Lord delayeth his coming See, that's what we've got to be careful about because, you know, Jesus didn't come five years ago or ten years ago. So if we're not careful as a church, we can get real Laodicea and real lax. And we can walk around, well, the Lord's delaying His coming and get that kind of attitude. Now watch what God says about that. God dealt with me about this back, right back there. He's talking to me. He said, son, you made it this far. Is it over now? You're going to quit now? Going to backslide now? My Lord delays his coming. He's saying it in heart. He's not saying it out loud. He's not standing in front of the church testifying. Saying, hey, oh, come on. He's saying it in his heart. My Lord's delaying his coming. He's talking to me. He might not be talking to you. And he shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. Did you hear that? 
he shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him in an hour that he's not aware of. He's going to catch him by surprise. He's going to catch him while he's asleep. He's going to catch him in that backslidden condition. He's going to catch him with that in his heart. My Lord delays his going. And he shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Don't play the game. I don't want to play the game. That's why I don't try uh, to, you know, put on some kind of persona that I'm not. I'm not going to play the hypocrite game. I refuse to. Okay? I refuse to. I refuse it. I refuse it. Impossible. There's people going to go to hell for that. So slothful servants. Slothful servants. I read it to you in two places. Backsliders. <clears throat> Hebrews 10.29. That's why we've got to pray for the backslider. Because I'll tell you their mentality. Their mentality is... Once saved, always saved. That is their mentality. I promise you. Because if they didn't believe that, they would come screaming back into this house. If they thought for a moment that they would be burning in the flames of hell and that it might happen tonight, if they really believed that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun and that their backslidden condition puts them in a place called hell right now, if they really believed that, they would be screaming to get back right with God. But what happens is they walk around in a false sense of security and the devil says, you're okay, you're saved, don't worry about it. You got saved a long time ago, God's merciful, He's gracious and loving, and you won't go to hell. And so they walk in that false sense of security. And even the people who know God, who continue to go to church, pat them on the back, say, treat them like everything's cool, everything's wonderful. Instead of praying, falling on their knees in the nighttime and praying for that backslidden. Whoever, backslidden loved one, husband, lukewarm, cold, cold, lukewarm wife. Some of them are sitting here right now. You got one foot in hell right now. You got one foot in hell right now. One foot in hell. I guarantee you, man, if we really believe this message, we would pray like there's no tomorrow. If we really believed it, we'd be running the streets tonight. Preaching the gospel. Tell them, come on, get right with God. We really believe this message. But the backslider feels like he's okay. That's why he continues to do what he does. And so that's why we have to pray that God will bring them under conviction because no man can come to the Father except the Spirit draw them. So you've got to pray for them until they come to the convicting power of God. Until they can be delivered from the snare of the devil. 
He's clamped down on their mind. He's blinded their eyes. They can't see. Backsliders. Hebrews 10, 29. The ungodly, 2 Peter 3, verse 7. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? That's what it says. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? In hell. The word scarcely literally means this. If God has to correct us and discipline us, and we scarcely be saved, His own people, His own children, He's got to correct, He's got to chastise us. In order for us to make it. If he's got to do that to us. And us scarcely be saved. Where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? In hell. This is heavy stuff my friend. And what's so sad about it. Is we have all these funerals that we go to. And everybody went to heaven. Even the people in this church go to funerals and say, well, they're resting now. They're resting now. And they didn't know Jesus. I know you want to hold on to hope. We all do. But I got relatives that are in hell tonight that I hope for and I prayed over. I'm telling you, just because they're my relative doesn't mean they went to heaven. And I don't walk in this life and act like that he made it. Everything's wonderful. He went there. The ungodly is not going to be there. Second Peter 3, 7. The ungodly. The ungodly is somebody who is not holy. To be ungodly means you're, you refuse to be godlike. Y'all didn't hear me, did you? That's okay. I'm going to go home. I'm feeling real good, but I'm going to tell you one thing. When I walk out this door tonight, the enemy's going to come against me and hit me hard because of the way I'm preaching to you tonight. But that's all. I don't care. I don't care because I've got to tell you the truth. See, to be ungodly does not mean that you were never saved. What it means is that you once were saved, but you just, you, you refuse to be godlike. Ungodly. You refuse to live righteously and holy, so therefore you are ungodly. Where, look, he distinguishes, he separates it. Where shall the sinner and the ungodly appear? Sinners are one person, an ungodly person is another person. Hear this word tonight. We've got to quit playing the mental game. The sinner and the ungodly are two different people. And what's so dangerous is men who are supposed to have truth condone unholiness and ungodliness in their sanctuaries and refuse to preach the truth and they don't understand that just because those people have been baptized in Jesus name if they don't live godly 
if there's not a distinction, then why didn't God say, and the sinner, where shall the sinner appear? He says, where shall the sinner and the ungodly people who just won't live for God, no matter what, they just won't live for God. You can beg them, pray for them, miracles happen for them, warn them, plead with them, still go off do their own thing. There, there was a time. Uh, please, y'all love me still? <laughs> okay. There, there was a time, and, and I'm not saying I won't do it anymore, but there was a time if somebody wasn't praying and it was repeated all the time, I'd go to them and say, you need to get in the prayer room and pray. But there's coming a time now where I'm just sick and tired of doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> and if you don't have a desire to walk with God and be godly, friend, I want you to know I can't get you in heaven. And nor can your wife or your husband or anybody else get you there. You've got to make up your mind tonight that I'm not going to wait on anybody else, but I've got to get right with God tonight for me. It's all about me getting right tonight. I, doesn't matter what another person's going to do tonight. I've got to get right with God. Instead of worrying about, well, what happened to grandma? What happened to grandpa? What's going to happen to mama? What's going to happen to my sisters? Well, what's going to happen to you? I can't take you to heaven with me. You can't take me to heaven with you. Today's the day of salvation. The ungodly. It's not going to be there. And I guarantee you that most of you have never heard it preached like that before. Never. You've always put the ungodly and the sinner together in the same. I guarantee it. Those who receive not a love for the truth. I love y'all. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 10. Those who receive not a love for the truth. That they might be saved. God's sent them a strong delusion. And they'll believe the lie and be damned. It doesn't say in that passage that they never heard the truth. The Bible says, because they did not receive a love for the truth, that they might be saved. God will send them a strong delusion, and they will believe the lie and be damned, be judged. There's thousands, millions of people who've heard the truth. They've heard it. But they didn't love it enough to live it. Because they did not receive a love for the truth, and they might be saved. That they might be saved. You've got to love this truth, not just know it. Um, those who obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take Thessalonians 1 verse 8. Say, obey the gospel. Not just hear it. And not just believe it. But obey the gospel. This is beautiful. I love this. Powerful. As we come to the close of this, this series of studies, is there anybody here tonight that you're not ready to meet God? You're not baptized in Jesus' name and you're not filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. And tonight you're not. If it is, I'll let everybody go home, but I'll stay here until you get right with God. Because I don't want to receive a call tonight that says, Pastor, and I'm not going to scare you into the kingdom. I'm just going to be truthful with you now. I don't want to receive a call tonight. Pastor, this person died. 
And knowing my heart, they went straight to hell without giving you an opportunity. I learned my lesson a long time ago. I worked with a man from California, came from California. I was supposed to train him how to do certain things on the job. When he got there, he wasn't a believer. And I don't know why, but I never told him the truth. I never witnessed to him. I never opened my mouth. I don't know why. I wasn't afraid. I just didn't do it. That man got back on the plane and he flew back to California. And it wasn't but a few months later, I, got, I, I heard my boss told me, that man died. He was a young man. So I'm telling you, there's only one step between us and death. Make your calling and election sure. Can I tell you tonight, if you were to die, if you were to leave here tonight and, and die after having left this service and you had repented and God was here and you heard the word, no matter if you wanted to sleep on me or whatever, <laughs> and was tired and all that stuff, I guarantee you, someday if I make it and you made it, you're going to say, Pastor, thank you for preaching the word to me. Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you, Pastor, that there was a service that night that I could attend because I got my heart right pastor I was drifting away pastor but I, I repented right there on the pew you didn't even know it but my heart was touched you didn't even know it but I repented right there pastor and I died and I'm in heaven tonight because there was a service that night and that, I'm telling you friend this is awesome God's good he's good Look at these people. I don't know if you can see it very well. But over here, we got people lined up and now going into the lake of fire. One of them on this, right here in this, in that right there, he, he says, I did need the Holy Ghost. I did need the Holy Ghost. I fought it. I said, I don't need it. All I need is accept Jesus as my Savior. I did need the Holy Ghost. And then this one over here with a big old question, or really it's a statement. My name was not there. And then this guy right here, lost, lost forever. I'm in hell and I can't get out. Charles Mahaney saw hell one time. He saw people trying to climb up the rocks in a big old chasm, big old hole going down to the pit, trying to climb up. And they were screaming. Devils were screaming at them, I should say. You're in hell and you can't get out. You're in hell. Can't get out. You're in hell. This man right here, lost, lost forever. After the great white throne judgment, the Bible says in Revelation 21, verse 1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God's going to take this earth that we're on right now and completely renovate it by fire. 
There's the, the new Jerusalem of God. The Bible says coming down from God out of heaven. Revelation 21, 2, 10 through 27. I believe it came down at the kingdom age, but now it's going to come down and literally set on the earth. Revelation 21, 2. And that is where, and I close with this, where is the church going to be? Where is the church now, spiritually? It's in the Jerusalem of God. The Jerusalem of God. Well, where's the church going to be? And where will you be? Leave it. We're going to end on a, a, some good news here for the church. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be in heaven? Are you going to heaven? I'm not. I'm not going to heaven. Look at your neighbor and, and, and tell them if you're in the church, you're not going to heaven. The Bible says the New Jerusalem is, the, is seen as a bride prepared for her husband coming down from God out of heaven. The New Jerusalem is not heaven. It's the city of the bride. I'm going to be in the New Jerusalem, and, I, and so will you. Amen. In fact, I already am spiritually. What an awesome day that's going to be. And just as, just as horrible and horrifying and dreadful as hell is. On the other hand, the New Jerusalem is eternal bliss that cannot be expressed in words. The city is 1,500 miles square. 1,500 miles wide, long and wide, and 1,500 miles high. 3 billion, 375 million rooms can fit in that city if it was a mile cube. If your, if your house was a mile cube, 3 billion, 375 million homes in that city. As massive. Because it's not just 1,500 miles long and wide. It's 1,500 miles high. There's enough room in that city for everybody who's ever lived from Adam till now to have a place there. Are you with me? It's massive. Woo! Foundations. In that city, all kinds of precious stones. The foundation, the city is 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles high, and solid, transparent gold. The gates in the city are solid pearl. The street that leads to the throne is made out of some kind of gold. Can you imagine? We make streets out of asphalt. God makes streets out of gold. I can't wait. I'm there spiritually, but boy, I'm talking about literal awesome stuff. And the glory of God just going to shine through that. And you know really what it is, and I'm going to, this is all I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to let you go home because it's, it's, yeah. You know what it is? It's one big diamond ring for his bride. That's why you got the gold and all those jewels and all that pearl and all that stuff. And that glory of God is going to shine right out of that. It's going to radiate that thing. His face is the light of it. Amen. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome sight. And that's where 
church is going to be. Hallelujah. It's going to be worth it all someday. Don't be weary in well-doing. You shall reap in due season if you faint not. Let's stand. Father God, I thank you tonight for your awesome word and this awesome church. I give you glory, honor, and praise tonight. We pray for Sunday, God. For the service that we're going to have and then from there, God, going and seeing a depiction of what you did for us. And we pray, oh God, for new souls to come into your kingdom as a result of this. And we thank you, God, today that your grace is abounding in the midst of the darkness of this hour. We love you tonight in Jesus' name. And God, I ask you right now, personally, to forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me of every evil word I've said and thoughts I've had and actions I've committed. Tonight, wash me in your blood. Cleanse me. I don't want to walk on the blood. I don't want to sin through the blood of Jesus. And I thank you, God, that you live it through me because I can't do it on my own. You live it through me, Jesus. I give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And I pray for the church tonight that not one person in this service will be lost. But that everybody who's heard the word of God tonight would be in the city of God. A city with foundation whose builder and maker is God. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. I'll worship you, give you glory, honor, and praise. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. You're awesome tonight. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You are dismissed in the name of the Lord.